Welcome to Glamorous Trash, the artist formerly known as Celebrity Book Club. Yes, we changed the name. On this podcast, we recap and book club celebrity memoirs. We pontificate about pop culture, and sometimes, if it's a real doozy, we cry. If you have ever referenced Mariah Carey in therapy, then this is probably the podcast for you. I'm your host, Chelsea DeVantes. I'm a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. Today, we are book clubbing Gilda Radner's memoir titled It's Always Something, published in 1989. Today's episode is absolutely going to be an emotional one. I can like feel it in my bones already. So please keep that in mind while listening. Please take care while listening. Her memoir began as a book she was writing as a joke, and she had titled it Portrait of an Artist as a Housewife. And as she sits down to begin the memoir, she is diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And everything about her life and the book changes. And it is a book about receiving that diagnosis and everything that follows. And the book is published in 1989, which is also the year when Gilda Radner passed away. Before we begin, just in case this is something you or someone you know are experiencing, and maybe this isn't the moment for the episode, I do want to share something that it may be the moment for. A friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine and my hairstylist, Olivia, she started a website and a company with two cancer survivor friends of hers called Chemo Queens. And on their site right now is incredible information. If you know someone going through cancer or are going through it yourself, it has a talking points sheet that they are giving away for free of things to say and do even down to, you know, don't text. Hey, let me know if you need anything. I'm here. Instead, they're like better, more helpful phrases to say. I know I yell about certain people's like small talk reactions to my specific traumas on here. So I think like having people let you know what's actually helpful. I heard that and I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. It's also an educational resource on how to retain your beauty and your love for your own beauty as you go through chemo and talking points for beauty practitioners that can help you in resources you might not have known about. So that's Chemo Queens. We will link it in the show notes. And before we begin, please know we recorded this episode a few weeks ago when we were really in the heat of the strike. And now today, as I record this pickup, we are possibly maybe officially no longer striking and the writer's strike has ended. Still waiting on a few votes, but that's where we're at. So know that and let's dive in. Our guest today is a comedy writer from Baltimore, Maryland, who was raised by a single mom and television. Most recently, she was a staff writer on Disney Channel's Raven's Home and ABC's Not Dead Yet. Currently, she is getting her steps in and ruining her highlights on the picket line because these rich dummies won't stop being selfish. Please welcome Maddie Bain. Thank you. I wrote that intro so long ago that I was like, what is she saying? (laughs) It's all true. But yes, I have absolutely bleached out my highlights. I have to say most painful is that you wrote that intro a long time ago and I'm still saying it about us being on the picketing line. Yes. So. Maddie was a guest on the Angela Lansbury New Year's 2023 episode. I loved doing that episode. We did our How We First Met story on that episode. And I have to say, Maddie had always told me, because we met when we were writers on Not Dead Yet, and Maddie always told me the book that she was going to do was Gilda Radner's memoir. 
And as we were coming across the new year, I said, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to do that book. Maybe I'll be ready later. And I made her cover Angela Lansbury's diet and weight loss book with me instead. I'm not sure that was better. So Maddie, we are here finally. Tell me what is your relationship with this book? Why Gilda's memoir? Yes. Well, my relationship with the book is more so my relationship with ovarian cancer. I was diagnosed with stage three ovarian cancer when I was 14 and was given nine months to live. So it was a one in a million diagnosis. It took them over a year and a half to diagnose me. And it was... (gasps) Yes, because people don't believe women, especially young women, especially young women of color. Like I did have like my amazing tiny white mom even advocating for me. But doctors often said I was being dramatic, like I'm making up all this pain for attention or having growing pains. Or you're just going through puberty and you don't know what it is. Exactly. Like they kept just trying to throw me on birth control. And my mom was like, there are greater pains. Like there's something bigger happening here. And Gilda had an epithelial ovarian cancer while I had a germ cell. It was called Sertoliolytic germ cell. It's very rare, but the symptoms are different, but the experience is still ovarian cancer, still the same. But yeah, it took forever and it was the worst time of my life. <laughs> and you were so young. Those are very precious identity making years Absolutely. in a woman's life. Yeah. There's one point in the book where Gilda talks about the self, like her former self that didn't have cancer doesn't exist anymore. And that's exactly how I felt at 14. Like you just have to kind of start over because it's so redefining. Yeah. And did you read Gilda's book when you were a teenager or did you find it afterwards? So it's interesting. I read this book the first time before I was in remission. So my ovarian cancer takes five years to be in remission. And I think I had read this book when I was 17 or 18. And now I'm 10 years in remission. So it's been very cool to revisit it and think about like how I felt the first time versus how I feel now. Like, especially about Gene Wilder. I was like, I have completely different views on Gene Wilder now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which I can't wait to get into. And uh, I can't, and 10 years. I love that. Uh, I don't know if you say congratulations. No, I, no. I feel like saying congratulations. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. No, it's, it's big. It's awesome. It's truly one of those things where it feels so distant in my past sometimes, but then I still see my oncologist every year. It's still something that's like present in my life, but it's kind of, I've had the privilege of it getting smaller, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. And Maddie and I had a really interesting coming together on this in that I did not have ovarian cancer, but I did have an ovarian dermoid tumor, which for a week or two, I was told was likely cancer, then ended up not being cancer. And I did have to have a surgery to have it taken out. And Maddie is how I found out that possibly... I told Maddie, I was like, yeah, can you believe it? I have a five to six inch vertical scar on my abdomen. And Maddie was like, why? Like they didn't, they don't, they didn't need to do that. They go in, I think you said like horizontally or laparoscopically, laparoscopically. Yeah. Five tiny scars across my stomach that are like maybe a centimeter big. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well I have a scar that definitely is a C-section scar. (laughs) And I was like, well, mine was 2009 in New Mexico and yours was what year was yours? 2011. But I was at John Hopkins. 
Yeah. So we were like, ah, oh, the difference is I still ended up finding certain things with Gilda. And I, and I wonder if you went through this too, where like when I was having it removed, they were like, by the way, this might be a full hysterectomy. And you sort of face like at that time I was 22, I think, but it's like, oh, did I want to have kids? Do I want to have kids? Mm-hmm. That's kind of like going away now. And did you have to face that as a teenager? Absolutely. I did IVF as a teenager, which is very weird. (laughs) Yeah. So it's so funny because Gilda has so many moments in this book where I felt like I was such a brat during my treatment, but then she's just as much, if sometimes not even more of a brat during hers. So I'm like, I'm justified. This is another, you know, sometimes you just know in a room when you and someone else are going to be close friends. And Maddie has that special sparkle, a little twinkle in your eye that says, I've seen some shit (laughs) and I'm, and I walked through it and I'm still smiling. And I was like, I know that little twinkle, (laughs) um, because that's a lot. And so specifically talking about Gilda and revisiting it, I'm so glad you said that because I picked this book up in college when I was like, I want to be a comedian and Gilda Radner is a comedian I look up to. And I picked up the book and I was I'm going to say horrified Mm -hmm. because I really, I didn't know what it was. And I'm not going to say horrified from the cancer stuff. I was horrified at the Gene Wilder stuff and I just wasn't ready. And then I didn't know the cancer stuff, but the stuff that actually really got me was the marriage stuff. And Mm -hmm. so one to anyone thinking about reading this book, I really think it's a book that has to come to you in the right time, in the right moment. It's not a book. You just like, you don't pick it up at the beach Mm -hmm. unless that's the kind of beach day you're having. (laughs) A sobbing beach day. (laughs) A sobbing beach day. And so it was really interesting to revisit it again, older and look back at that stuff. So let's talk about chapter one. I love her chapter titles. Chapter one is the marriage, Mm -hmm. which I thought was beautiful. And basically I'm going to read these two little paragraphs. Up to that point, I had been a workaholic. I'd taken one job after another over 10 years, but just looking at Jean made me want to stop, made me want to cook, made me want to start a garden, to have a family and settle down. To complicate things, I was married at the time, and Jean had been married and divorced twice before and was in no hurry to make another commitment. I lived in a house I had just bought in Connecticut, and he lived in Los Angeles. I got an amicable divorce six months later, and Jean and I lived together on and off for the next two and a half years. My new, in quotes, career became getting him to marry me. I turned down job offers so I could keep myself geographically available. And the other just couple sentences I'll read was, you know, they break up. Jean says he's suffocating. She's like, you've got to be with me. And how did you read this? Because I do think you know, she is saying like my new career became getting him to marry me. She kind of has this a little bit joking tone, but Mm -hmm. it does overall read as very sincere to me. Yes. She needs to be with Jean. I think I wrote, this is so brave to just throw yourself at someone and have them keep going. Like, this is too much. And you're like, I'm going to be with you. Yeah. And I think reading it in college, really like independent and like Mm -hmm. wanting to being an independent woman and also no boys liked me, but reading this <laughs> comedian uh, idol of mine being like, I'm throwing it all away because I just need this man. I remember feeling really s- surprised. It's disappointing. Yeah. It was like disappointing. And yet it was also this thing where it was outside of my realm of understanding. Yes. Like at that time I was literally like, can someone like, fuck me. Like, <laughs> I, like I was nowhere near, like I would want to cook in a marriage. Like I've, I had no reference for that. Oh, absolutely not. There's one point I'm looking for it in the book where she goes, my life revolved around all the men that I loved. 
And I think I wrote, cannot relate. Like she just yeah, like yeah. morphs to them. And it's so funny because you're like, but you're everything. But you're a Gilda Radner. Yeah. yeah. And she says something also, because she goes, it takes me six years to graduate Michigan, but my main goal was just to be loved. And yeah, it was just something where I think I, you totally get this. Like when you're very like driven and you're like, I have a goal and I must accomplish things like the fact that like she was so willing to let love derail her felt so foreign to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think also just really clashed with whatever I had projected about her up until that point. Mm-hmm. And also like so many female comedians have to set their family and getting married and kids aside mm-hmm. to have the career. So it was interesting that she was like, absolutely not. And this is what's also nuts. So huge tie in to our Jennifer Gray episode on this <laughs> podcast, where she tells a story where she is 16 years old and she's like dating. Now I forget who it is. So go back and listen to that episode. But he's like some like older business C guy who is like, you should come down to some island. Let's just say for this story, it's like Costa Rica. <laughs> I'm getting the story correct, but the details wrong. But he's like, come down to this island. And she says she's dating him and she's in her underwear, hanging out at this like cabana, waiting for him and his friends to come back. And when they come back from the airport of like picking up a friend, mm-hmm. she gets off the bed in her underwear. She goes running to the door to meet this guy she's dating and in walks Gilda Radner. And Gilda Radner had, in Jennifer's words, had been like on and off with Gene and in trying to move on from him, had met this same guy. And like on a whim is like, yeah, I'll go like date this guy. And she like flies down the island. When she walks in, she finds a 16 year old in her underwear there and is like, I have made a huge mistake and walks out the door and like gets back on the plane. Uh, Yes. (laughs) But those types of stories and details are not a part of this love story or in this book. No. And I don't think there's room for them because obviously she, you know, life really changes for her soon. But it's tough because you never know if it's a relationship she deeply loves. But in reading about it, I didn't find myself always loving the relationship. Yes. That's why I think the first time I read the book, I was like, Gene Wilder's mean and I don't know why you like him. He's mean to you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But then there was another part in the book where like Gilda is just feeling really sorry for herself. Like there's this bit of being sick where no one's honest with you everybody's cushioning you. Everybody's like, hi, like just is looking at you with these deathy eyes. Like I always said, it's like, yeah. like you're the walking dead, but like everybody loves you. Like everybody yeah, can see yeah. that you're dying <laughs> and everybody's yeah. like, Hey, no, everything's great. No, you're the best. And there's like one day where Gilda is like, just, I'm trying to find it. Cause I went, Oh my God. Like it's how I knew Jean loved her because he was willing to be honest with her. I tabbed it because I was like, yes, Jean, yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Can I read it to you? Yes. Okay. She goes, help me. Please help me. I'm so scared. I don't know what to do. I'm just petrified. I'm panicked. And Jean turned over and said, I can't help you. I'm tired of helping you. Why don't you worry about something besides yourself? Worry about me. Worry about the dog. Just get off yourself. I can't help you anymore. You're mean and cranky and inconsiderate all day. And then at night you get in bed and you get frightened and panic and you want me to make everything be all right. And I can't. And I think my first time reading this, I was like, you're the meanest person in the world. Why would you say this to her? Like, it's 
there is a tenderness you have to have. But this, to me, I think being a little older, I was like, Gilda, this whole book never fakes it for anybody. Like she's very upfront and honest about her emotions. And it isn't like, doesn't have that bit of like, I'm fine. No, go on with your life. Like she's not afraid to be an inconvenience. And I think yeah. that is, for me, I was a little bit resentful of it because you think everybody around you is trying to help you, like be a bit grateful. But I think Jean tries to knock her back into reality a little and treats her like a person, which is- Which is maybe what she needed in that moment. Yes, with a closer look to it, I understood what was happening rather than I think at first glance, it's harsh. But it's also, I think it's, it brings you back down. Like she talks about then how she needed that. She was hurt, but then she needed that. But it's seeing someone enough to be like, you don't get to do this anymore. Like you're still a person, you're still here. And I think- yeah. It was grounding. I think in a way I appreciate it. That was just a little bonus teaser of the full episode. Are you mad? Are you mad at us? And you're like, why isn't this a full episode? I get it. If you love the podcast, become a member of our Patreon. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash Vantes or just click the link in the show notes. When you become a member of the Patreon, you get one extra episode a month. It means a lot to us and it's the reason why we can keep doing great books. And thank you so much for listening and we'll see you for another episode if you go to the Patreon. Patreon.